Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Rio. And swinging, Schwarber hits one toward the right field corner. It is gone! Another grand slam for the Boston Red Sox after they hit two in game two. And Kyle Schwarber has given the Red Sox a six to nothing lead. Uh, remember those days when grand slams were rare? Mm. Postseason grand slams were rare. It's like you watch the Red Sox now, and it's you're almost. I watch every inning of this series, and as soon as somebody gets in base for the Red Sox, I look at the look at the order, and I go, okay. See, Schwarber got on, Devers, Bogarts. How, how is this going to work out so that there's going to be a, a bases-loaded situation? You know, it's almost like I expect it now. You know how hard it is to hit a 3-0 grand slam? You, you, I did that. I, I swung 3-0 16 years one time. Hit it straight up the elevator chute. Never did it again. You want to know why that is? It's very – what you do 3-0 is you try and create loft to the pull side. That just in itself, when you start thinking, okay, 3-0, I'm not soft serving this the other way to left center or right center. Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to try and go 70% of my weight on my back leg, 30% on my front leg. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and get this ball in the air, and I'm going to try and do it to the pull side. All of the thought process goes into that most of the time. What do you do? You roll over it, you pull it foul, it's 3-1, and you get out on a little pop foul to to the third baseman. That's normally what happens. To be able to do that in front of all those people – just because he said there was ducks on the pond, it's just that simple, Jeff. It was. It, it is. It is pretty remarkable. Unbelievable. A three zero swing like that. Unbelievable. Uh, the Astros lost twelve three last night to the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox lead the series two games to one. Game four goes tonight at eight o'clock. Mike Stanton is a Houston Astros pre and post game TV analyst. Former MLB reliever. He is a three-time World Series champion. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Mike, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We we trust you're you're doing well. I I mean I've got a simple simple question for you because you've seen the Astros a lot. Zach Granke is going to start today. Uh, should I expect to see Christian Javier into this in, in this game in the in, in the second inning or the third inning? Well, for Astros fans, hope not. Uh, and thank you for having me on. Um, you know, the thing is, you know, Zach, Zach's only pitched a couple times in the last few weeks. Just like Jose Urquidy had only pitched, shoot, I don't, I think it had been like three weeks since he had pitched. And, uh, you know, those just are not optimal situations against any big league lineup, but especially one that has gotten hot like the Red Sox have. And, and I've said this from day one that, you know, what it looks like on paper really doesn't matter. Uh, even with the extended playoffs that we have now that we didn't have, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, um, it's still who gets hot. When a team gets hot, 
that's when they can make that big run. And I mean, if you look at the Red Sox, I don't want to say they backdoored into the into the playoffs, but they definitely were not playing great baseball in September. Bottom line is they got in. And once they got in, now the the new season of the postseason starts and it's it's a completely different mentality. And you've seen these guys have a couple big swings and then they've just built off that emotion. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be I know the series is two to one. It is a long way from over, but if you look at how these two teams are playing right now, especially uh, the way the Red Sox are swinging the bat, it's going to be a daunting task to say the least for the Astros. We, we've seen managers, you know, worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, any, any chance that you see Dusty use maybe a Kendall Graveman, a Ryan Presley before high leverage situations? High leverage now for the Astros. Well, the way their starting pitching is could be the third, fourth inning. You, for me, you got to use sure. your big time arms. Any chance Dusty does that? You know, if you look at just Dusty's track record, that is not something that he does very often. And I'm talking about ever. Um, you know, is that a situation? Maybe. You know, I think you can uh, you can go back to uh, Game Two when he brought in Jake Odorizzi, and that was a position that. You know, the game wasn't completely out of hand at the time. They had scored the four runs in the first. Uh, Luis Garcia goes out with the knee injury. Um, you know, yeah, I think what, you know, what should have been done in that situation is you bring in a reliever. It doesn't matter who it is. Well, it does. But, you know, it doesn't have to be one of your main back end of the bullpen guys. But bring in a reliever that's used to being in those type situations. Get out of that situation even if you give up a run or two at least the game is still in reach but you bring in a starting pitcher it takes him 14 minutes to warm up and uh and and you know this wasn't on Odorizzi he's just not used to coming into that situation especially in the postseason and what happens you know he gives up another grand slam and then he pitches okay but you know the game's out of hand by then you bring in a reliever there, you get out of the situation, mm-hmm. who knows what's happened because this, this Astros offense, you know, is, uh, you know, there's a reason they were the best offense in the American League in Major League Baseball because they're just simply that good. But nobody's built to come back from, you know, four to eight runs down. Yeah, you seeing any different approach from Alex Bregman at the plate? Well, I think it, it, there's a couple things. When, when, a, when a team gets up big – uh, to answer your question, the short answer is no, I don't. But there's a couple things that happen. So when, a, when, when you're playing from behind, it changes your offensive approach at the plate. But maybe even more important, it changes the approach of the pitchers on the other side. And they can be much more aggressive in the zone. You know, they, you know the, the pressure of the game is not on every single pitch like it is in a tight ball game. And I think with, you know, those two, so it's, it's nothing physical. It's all mental on both sides. But with those two situations I just gave, you can see how, you know, uh, anybody, it doesn't matter how good you are, that, you know, they can struggle when, you know, you're, you're, you're needing to put big, ugly, crooked numbers up on the board to get back in the game. Brent Strom had, had some interesting comments after the game to the, the Astros pitching coach, Ken Rosenthal, and he – and I was waiting for somebody to do this, Mike, said, you know, I, I look at Alex Cora, I look at the team they have, and we're going to sit down and look and see whether or not we're doing something with our pitchers, whether or not there's a certain pitch we're tipping. 
you know, he talked about how uh, it's it's not so much the damage that's been done as the swings that haven't been taken, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, and, and he made clear he wasn't talking about cheating. He was just saying, hey, that Alex Cora, I, I was beside that guy in the dugout for a few years. Yeah. I, I know how he sees yeah. the game. As a former pitcher, sure. are you seeing any – I don't know. Do you look for that yourself when you're watching a game? Do you to try to detect whether a guy's tipping pitches? And do you think there could be anything there? I personally, I do not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go back to 2002 um, playing with the Yankees and Todd Green got called up. You remember the, the catcher, Todd Green? Yep. Um, he got called up from the minor league in the middle of the season. And uh, actually, it's 2001. And he comes up and he had played, I, I played against Todd several different places. Anaheim was one of them uh, when he was with the Angels. And he goes, he comes up and he goes, Mike, you know, a few weeks in, he goes, Mike, you know, we had your curveball. What? No, I didn't know you had my curveball. So there was something that I was doing. Uh, now, being the hard-headed self that I am, uh, the way I viewed my curveball, I th- if I threw a good one, you weren't going to hit it anyways. Mm-hmm. Now, I did do some, you know, I changed my glove a little bit. Now, I was doing something with my glove, a tilt of my glove when I came set where I threw a curveball or a fastball. Um, so no, I, I don't, I'm, I'm more a execute the pitch guy than, you know, now, obviously if the, if the hitter knows it's coming, the execution has to be that much better, but there may be, I mean, that's, that's kind of Brent's job is to kind of look around and, and, and knowing Alex, the way Brent does, you know, knowing the way his mind works, you know, they're always looking for an advantage and, you know, as long as it's within the rules, that's exactly what everybody should do it, be doing. But all the years that I spent it playing the game, I never got a chance to do that because I was always out in the bullpen. And you don't really have the best view of the pitcher or of the game when you're sitting out, you know, 500 feet away. Right. Now, you also, though, you made 53 postseason appearances in your career. And you're the perfect guy to ask about this. When you see the way pitchers in general are being used in the postseason, uh, whether Mm -hmm. it's openers or however starters are being used, bulk guys or everything like that, how hard – do you think it is right now to be, you know, to be a pure reliever in this game? And the reason I'm asking this is because Dusty Baker was asked uh, yesterday about, hey, you spent all year, and it was a respectful question, but essentially it was, you spent all year telling us how good your bullpen is. Now we're in the postseason, and all of a sudden you're using starters and different mm-hmm. roles and all that. Uh, would, that uh, yeah. would, would that have an impact on the mindset of a reliever? If you could put yourself back then, you know, in, in the way the game is managed now? Uh, I think the biggest problem, and this is across the board, this isn't Astros, you know, this isn't, you know, Red Sox, this is anybody and everybody with the, with the emphasis on analytics. And the biggest thing is uh, you just simply do not rely on starting pitching anymore. And I said this, uh, I threw up a big red flag I, uh, uh, with the, in the Dodgers series that they, they game one of a seven-game series, you're going to go with a bullpen day and you're going to throw nine different guys. Well, listen, I hated pitching game one of a four-game series because I knew I was going to be in at least two more of those games, probably against the same hitters that I just faced. And by the time the series is over, I'm thinking, you know, and this is just my own mentality is, you know, they, they, they know the spin on my breaking ball. They know my release point. They know how I'm going to attack. So I'm almost like they're inside my head. Uh, and, and, and my execution has to be just that much more precise. 
Now, go to a seven-game series. I mean, that, and, and you know, we know how the Dodgers work. You know, uh, Dave Roberts, he's not a guy that's going to – he's not going to rely on his starting pitching. He's not going to let those guys, you know, get in trouble and then work them their way out of trouble. He's going to go to that good, strong bullpen. And, you know, everybody, it doesn't – you know, Blake Trinan might be the, the, the dirtiest reliever on the planet right now. It doesn't matter how good your stuff is. Anybody and everybody can suffer from overexposure. Uh, And I think that's the biggest problem is that you just, you you know, especially the Astros now, they're not really in a position that they can, they can allow, uh, allow a starting pitcher to work their way out of trouble. But, you know, all you're doing is, is fatiguing your bullpen and then familiarizing the opponent's with the stuff that's coming out of your bullpen. And and the Astros bullpen is good, but like I said, there's just nobody uh that is with, that is uh that is built to come from behind and you know when you got a Red Sox lineup that's as hot as they are, uh the last thing you want to do is let them smell blood in the water by giving them some kind of lead. You pitched a lot of games for the Yankees and you would have pitched a lot of games against the Red Sox. Uh I, I I'm I'm just wondering, you know, the the atmosphere at Fenway Park for this series, uh, and I know the Astros have, you know, they've, listen, they've had to put up with this for two years. But as someone who's sure. spent a lot of time <laughs> facing the Red Sox, and you're with the Red Sox as well, but you've been down in that bullpen at Fenway Park an awful lot. I, I, I'm just wondering, what's that like to be, <laughs> frankly, to be part of it? Frankly, Mike, to be hated by yeah. a whole bunch of people who are <laughs> right on top of you. And you're kind of going about your business, or you're you're waiting to go about your business. What the hell's that like? How do you mm-hmm. how do you how do you turn that out? You know, uh, this was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and this is something we we were talking about prior to the postseason starting. And you know, there's 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 a bunch of relievers across the league, you know, especially back before we had started, we still had eight teams uh, that had pitched you know they pitched in the postseason last year but you got to remember the stadiums were empty last year you know all the noise we were getting was just piped in i mean you look around you know you just see empty seats it's like a a, you know a bad spring training game somewhere or something like that um and and they were pumping in you know whether it was music or just fan noise just just so it you know it wasn't crickets all the time um this is a you know of of all the stadiums really including yankee stadium fenway can be the worst as far as uh, the aggressiveness of the fans now i'm not i'm not talking about them throwing stuff and things like that but you know they're just very passionate in boston especially when their team is playing well you know um and it can be and you know last year no fans in the stands we started off the season with no fans in the stand. So if you look at the timeline of how everything happened, you can understand why fans now are just kind of as crazy as they've ever been. Uh, I, that's kind of what I've been hearing about what's going on up there is, you know, they haven't heard it like that in Boston in, you know, well over a decade, maybe even go back to, you know, the, the big rivalry years in the late 90s and early 2000s between the, the Yankees and the, and the Red Sox. You know, that's when that was when they were the craziest. And from what I understand, they're right there now with this Red Sox team. So uh, it, it's it's definitely a completely different situation. You know, going in last year, no fans in the stands, 
extremely quiet. It's all about just executing the pitch and then dealing from the emotions that come from the stadium. Because the stadium is a live entity now. You know, any stadium. Because Minute Maid is extremely loud also. That's why they keep the roof closed. Uh, Extremely loud stadium. And, you know, there are things that you have to deal with in those situations that you really don't have to other than when you're in the playoffs. Do you think it would show panic if Dusty moved Yuli Gurriel up in the order? Um, I, no, I don't think it's panic because, you know, nobody really has a big-time set lineup anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, I think us in the media, we, we like to to talk about, you know, panic moves and things like that. And it can be construed as that. But I think more importantly, you know, if whoever Dusty does move down or whoever he may move up, I think it's all about the conversations uh, that he has with the players that, you know, to make sure that, hey, listen, you're still going to get opportunities. You know, I Yuli is so hot right now. I just need to get him an extra at-bat if I can. I need to get him. I need to get him to the plate with guys in scoring position. And right now, um, you know, we're going to try to do the same thing with you, but we're going to do it, you know, a little, a little later in the lineup. And, you know, these guys, all these guys should, they, they know this, they know that, you know, cause they feel it, they feel it too. You know, they feel the pressure that, you know, yeah, it's, it's still only two to one. I mean, it's not like this, you know, this thing is completely over, but the way they've lost the last two games, there is definitely a little bit, if not panic, definitely overly concerned with how things have gone. Yeah, it would it would be an interesting look to flip-flop him and Bregman. Just it would add a different element to the guy throwing against him, I would think. It could happen. It could happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely worth the conversation. Um, you know, it does look like Alex is kind of searching for the ball a little bit. But, you know, Alex is also the type of player, if he can square one up, he can turn it on like a light switch. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen it from Alex before, and that's probably what – that's probably what Dusty is looking for out of him. That he's just he's just done it so much, and he's such a good player that you know you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna you know even construe that panic move by moving him down down in the lineup and moving Yuli up. Mike, listen, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Great insight. Be well. No problem, guys. Thanks, Mike. Take Anytime. It's Mike Stanton, Astros pre and post game TV analyst, former MLB reliever. Think about this guy. 19 years in the bigs, eight different organizations, three World Series rings, 11 straight years to the postseason with four different teams, yeah. 53 postseason appearances. Uh, holds the records for most holds and second most pitching appearances in MLB history. And I, I was intrigued the way he talked about being how a reliever would view being used in a series. Hearing him say that he used to hate it in the four-game series when he would get in in the first game because he knew that in a four-game series, as a lefty, mm-hmm. that was back in the day when everybody was going lefty, lefty. You're going to usually face the same guy. Over, and, and yeah. you're going to get him two times in the series, or he may get you two times in the series. And the idea was, hey, if I'm doing something, there's a chance that they're going to pick it up. Now, imagine not only, as he said, imagine a seven-game series, mm-hmm. but imagine a seven-game series where there's how – many, how many eyes are on you? How many, how, many, how many eyes do you think the Braves have on every Dodgers pitcher? 
Yeah, but I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm a reliever, the way they're paying relievers now, the, the way they weren't paying relievers when he was playing, certain guys got paid then. More guys are getting paid for what the hybrid kind of thing. If you're a reliever now, you come in as much as you can whenever you can. No, no matter what the inning, mm. no matter what the situation is, because the more I see you do that, the more teams see you do it, you're, you're more beneficial, you're you're more valuable. On the other hand, more though, money. doesn't I've, – I've always wondered this about relievers, especially the way Dave Roberts is using them. Most relievers are guys who couldn't start. Or they were you – know, they were found wanting. Mm. Then they found something in the bullpen. Most relievers don't throw, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't throw four pitches. Most of them don't, most, maybe two. Two. Aren't you, unless a guy's really good, the more the Atlanta Braves see Blake Trinan or any reliever, doesn't that just increase the chance, though, of them having success? I think you're way overthinking it. But Blake Trinan's nasty. Even Mike Stanton just said that, that he's one of the nastiest relievers in baseball. When you have the stuff that he has, as so hard as he throws can overcome, it. Absolutely. Stuff can overcome absolutely. it. Okay, that's fair. Because I know it's coming. If he throws it in the right spot and I have it a tough matter. time picking it up, yeah. does it matter? I mean, he throws a bazillion miles an hour with a, with a devastating tunneling slider off the bazillion miles an hour. Use it. Like, use him as much as you possibly can until they show you that they're making adjustments and laying off of one of the pitches, and they're starting to see him better. I always say this to you. I look at the hitter's takes. When they're taking it like they see it out of the hand, that will usually tell you that they figured something out against that guy. That's the answer you asked, Mike, about the, the tipping of the pitches. They're not taking the pitches that they're, they're tipping them. They're just okay. bad pitches. They're, they're, they're in bad counts. They're, you know, looking heater. They're a good fastball team. They're getting in fastball counts. They're getting in an athletic position because they are having an educated guess that a fastball's coming. That's more on the pitcher than that is on the hitter. So it's, it's, that's why organizations like the, like the Dodgers don't overthink it. Like you got a good starter, use him. You got a good bullpen arm, use him. Don't, don't throw him nine pitches and think because you got the top of the order coming up who if Freddie Freeman's 0 for 8 with seven punches, use your best guy. If they beat your best guy, then Dave Roberts can come out and go, hey, you know what? I used my best guy. They beat us. We'll come back tomorrow. I'm going to use him again. So expect to see him in that same exact spot. That, that for me is the flip side of it. You overthink things. You got here for what reason? Because you use your starter when you should have used your bullpen? Absolutely not. You use guys in situations to maximize what they do the best. Don't, don't go outside it now because you got the khaki coming to the field don't telling you the that, this, that this should be working. Well, the, you, know, the that, you know that's what's happening. Absolutely that's what's happening. So that that's just me, and and I would hope that Dave Roberts is one of those guys who who is not afraid of losing his job that can raise his hand in a room and go, hey, you, you do know that Blake Trinan is pretty good and only threw nine pitches. Maybe we should use him more. Hmm. Or you can be down 2 nothing and, and and look at a sweepy. Which is not going to happen, obviously, because they're they're coming home and and with Walker Bueller, he's pretty good and, and he's well rested. That they, they should win tonight. Everything's lined up to that way. But maybe they learned something. Maybe maybe the the trickery for the most expensive team in baseball it's not going to work. You got your guy, use him. Yeah, that that that's the other thing. You you just made a great point as well. Uh, I remember a conversation with Charlie. 
Montoyo about the opener. And Charlie always used to laugh and say, people need to understand that we went to the opener. He was with the Rays and they did it. We didn't do it because we were trying to be smart. We did it because we had no other options. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, it worked, but somehow we have taken a move that was, it wasn't panic, but a move that was made out of weakness. And now we've turned it into a strategy. Yeah. I, and, and I, I understand, you know, yeah, it works, but I, I find myself at times just shaking my head and going, I, I just wonder if at some point it's not going to catch up because this wasn't something the Rays wanted to do to be smart. It was something they did because they looked at their arms and said, we got crap. We got better arms in our bu- Why don't we take one of our good bullpen arms and let them start? Yeah, let's flip it over to the Astros and talk about their offense. That That's the key to their team is. You think they should move score. Yuli? Absolutely. Who would you rather face if you're the, who would you rather face if you're the Red Sox? Alex Bregman right now, the long swinging Alex Bregman out and around, who's hitting a bunch of ground balls on balls that he should be short and quick No to, doubt, I'm with you. Or Yuli Gurriel, who no is doubt. hammering everything. No Th- doubt. That's where Dusty's got to be the big boy in the room. Walk in there, call those two guys in the office and go, hey, Alex, I know who you are and I know what you bring. Right now, Yuli's better. And I know that I got a guy on the mound starting today who's thrown 49 pitches in October. 49. We need to score often and early. That, that for me, is a no-brainer. There's no, there's no discussion in this. That's the big change in the lineup for me today. Now, does he have the nerve to do it? This is the dusty factor. You know, the, the Zen thing, bring them in the office, say right now. This Turn is the lights down, this is have a little better. incense, John Lee Hooker on the sound, this, on, this on the sound what, system. This is what's yeah. better for your team. Maybe our, a little our, green tea. Our pitching staff right now is atrocious. It's just not good. Our offense is pretty good. Right now, Alex, you're struggling. Yuli, you're not. Yuli, you're hitting third. Alex, you're hitting sixth or seventh. Yeah, I'll, I'm with you. It's a no-brainer for I, me. I'm, I'm with you. I want to uh, punch first. I want my best guys up. I want them to have more at-bats than the guys who are struggling. Right now, Alex Bregman's struggling. Yeah, you know, we, we have established that the only way you're going to win this series is, one, play good defense. It doesn't matter where, whether Alex Bregman's hitting first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. He's going to play good defense. So that that part of the issue isn't remains the same. But we've also got to outscore the Red Sox. That That's just a fact. We... We, if you're the Astros, you got to look at each game thinking we're going to have to win this eight seven, eight six, nine eight. Listen to every one of you the, really do. Listen to every one of the the, the commentators that, that call these games to say the exact same thing. The Red Sox are always jabbing and punching first. Mm-hmm. Well, Astros, you got the best lineup in baseball. That's that's the thing is sometimes the manager. This is where that manager this time of the year who's been there and done it before, who has managed you know big time attitudes and and personalities and those kind of things have got to put the team first. What gives your team a better chance to win? Especially, look, you're, look at who's pitching for the Astros today. Poop-slinging Zach Greinke, <laughs> who's thrown 49 pitches in October. Realistically, how do you think that's going to go? Well, and I'm also going to say this. Knowing how Zach Greinke is, knowing how Zach Greinke is, uh, I'm not certain he'd be the guy I'd want in the that, mound. That screams Kiki Hernandez going back leg city. It's 2 nothing. Dan O'Dowd of the MLB Network joins us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan.
lost my notes here. Actually, I didn't lose my notes. I just scribbled all over them. Dan O'Dowd of the MLB Network joins us. You can watch Dan across MLB Network's programming, including MLB Tonight, which airs live before and after every postseason game. We're very pleased to be joined by Dan. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. We, you know, you know we, uh, we appreciate your time, especially this time of year when it is, uh, it is hectic. Before we get to the playoffs, I uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about the news today that Aaron Boone has uh, agreed to a three-year extension with the Yankees. Um, any well, level first, of surprise? Yeah. Well, first of all, Jeff and Kevin, thanks for having me on. I love coming on your guys' show. You always ask me such great questions and starts with a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not really. I, you know, I think in reality, if they decided not to offer an extension to, to Aaron, they'd just be out trying to find the same kind of guy, somebody that collaboratively works well with the front office, somebody that's good with the media, you know, and no, he hasn't gotten over the hump. He has won a lot of games there. You know, I, I think it it was for me more on whether Aaron wanted to come back. I thought the stress warned him uh, this year a lot. They let three coaches go. I think he was close to all three of them. And so I think it was more in my mind is not so much whether the Yankees would want him back, but would Aaron, you know, is he still, you know, all committed to be the very best he can be? It's a hard job, guys, and it does wear on you, especially in that particular situation speaking of hard jobs uh, the Dodgers playing the first game I, you know I don't want to say that ask you if they've screwed this up but I, I do want to ask you do you do you think yeah, they, I think they, they screwed it up oh there you go then <laughs> then that's my question yeah you know I you know Kevin I think sometimes you know the game tells you what you need to know but sometimes the one thing I have learned through all of my mistakes is you can't outsmart the game itself and uh, sometimes you can just go to the well too many times and think that formula is going to work. Uh, and I also believe the reality, even if you have a bottom end of your roster, and I think we're seeing that with the Red Sox now and their approach to how to utilize their roster, I think the reality it is you, you have to believe and use all of your players. And if you're not going to use all your players, it's very, very difficult to get through the grind of a postseason. And um, I thought they had other options available in the bullpen. Obviously, they're not comfortable going to, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it catches up with you. Yeah, I find it fascinating because I went back and read some of Dave Roberts' comments earlier, towards the end of the year, when they and, and looking ahead to the postseason once they got in. And one of Dave's comments was, "I've got, I've got a lot of, I've got confidence in my bullpen. I, I kind of like the way it's set up, you know, and and he, and he should." And, and then it's almost as if they get to the postseason and, you know, Kevin asked this and, and you mentioned it as well. It's, is it just a matter of outthinking themselves or I, I don't know, could it possibly be there are too many voices in, in, involved in the decision-making process here? I think it could be all of the above. I don't think any of us are really going to know the answer to that. Uh, I think they're, Culture is such that they have a lot of smart people. I'm sure when ultimately you have intellectually gifted people, they all want to contribute within the process. Um, but I look at it like, you know, I thought Max closing out the game in San Francisco, I mean, I thought that was millimeters away from making a mistake for a game-timing home run to Wade. So, you know, it's not like he, I thought, was lights out in that role. They could have easily, in my mind, got another inning at earliest. Then you've got China in the eighth, Jansen in the ninth. Um and then, you know, he's not flatlined going into his start against the Braves, which he was. I mean, he was totally gassed. Uh, 
Now, now you use Urias in one a role that he hadn't been used in all year in San Francisco. And then two, you bring him back, and now you're bringing him back again on two days. I mean, ultimately, at the end of these days, these guys aren't robots; they're humans, and um, you know they have the same issues that any elite athlete has with you know rest and recovery and fatigue. Now, keep in mind, you know you're traveling back and forth across the country too, so there's a real fatigue factor here, and that's why I keep saying I think you know way Alex Cora has managed his roster this year's you know this postseason has been incredible to me, but he's really relied on all of his players. And his mindset is everybody's going to have to contribute for us to win, and I believe that. And uh, I think it's just a difference in philosophies. Now, hey, listen, the Dodgers got such a talented roster. Braves have not won at all in L.A., it seems like, forever. So, I mean, this series could turn pretty quickly, but I think they I think they put themselves in a compromising position. Dan, if you're running the Braves, does Freddie Freeman's struggle in the playoffs deter you from wanting to re-sign him? No. No. No, I think he means more to that club than just his performance on the field, Kevin. I'm a big believer in human analytics as much as I'm a believer in, in statistical analytics. And I think the human analytical part of what he means and what he brings to that organization is so important. You know, that infield led all of baseball in games played. And the reason why it led all of infield in games played, because the guy at first base never takes a day off. And, Kevin, you know, like – he probably is going out there healthy maybe a quarter of the time through the course of the season, but his ability to show up and compete every day with what he has for me is a true definition of a leader. I think the team really feeds off of him. Now, I don't know where they're at from an impasse standpoint contractually because there's this age regression theory with corner players uh, that it doesn't end well. Uh, but I, I think at, you know, in this point in time, I can't imagine him wearing another uniform other than the British. I know if I was running another team, I'd like to have them. Yeah. I'll tell you that. 100%. Dan, as a former GM, how impressed have you been with the job Alex did this year at getting Jock Peterson and then essentially at the trade deadline saying, hey, I can't, I can't replace Ronald Acuna. I can't replace all these guys who are gone. But what I can do is maybe add four or five guys who combined give, give Brian Snitker a little depth and a few more options. Blown away. I mean, you know, I think great baseball men have vision to see not what's in front of them, but what's the next thing in front of them. And so when he made the acquisition of Jock Peterson, I think everybody interested said, man, that's a good acquisition. And uh, then he made another acquisition for Duval. I said, that's a good acquisition. But to turn around then and add Soler and Rosario, and I think he just went through a thing saying, God, I've gotten burned so bad with injuries this year. I'm not going to leave anything to chance. And keep in mind, I don't think he spent um, severe prospect capital on any of those acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you could debate what the Marlins got and whether Jackson will ever hit at the big league level. But I don't think any of the acquisitions are going to be players that have long careers, if any, at the big league level. And so I think it was just a marvelous job. And whoever was the advanced scout that was – or the major league scout that was on Solaire – did a great job because he had struggled all year long, but 10 days prior to that acquisition, he had gone off in Kansas city. And so he started to figure something out, but somebody, so when they looked at the metrics of him, cause his hard hit rate wasn't great. His swings and misses were off the chart. His walk rate had declined. So there's no way that decision could have been made analytically. That decision had to be made by somebody putting eyes on this guy and saying, Hey, you know, I think this guy's turned the corner. I think we're going to get him when he's just starting to get going this year. And that was just a, 
an awesome recommendation. Well, we had Mike Stanton on talking about the Astros, and I asked him about you know, mixing up the lineup for the Astros. You know, you, Zach Greinke on the mound, thrown 49 pitches in October. If you're Dusty Baker, you're sitting in a, in a dark room by yourself. You're thinking to yourself, man, chances of me getting anything out of Zach Greinke is probably not very good. So so if we're going to win this thing, it's all about my offense. If you got an, a guy like Alex Bregman, you got a guy like Yuli Gurriel, one guy's starting to rake, one guy's really struggling. If you're in the room with Dusty and you're, you know, I'm getting back to you running the, the Astros, do you strongly say you maybe we think about mixing the lineup a little bit, get our hottest guy up first because we have to punch and punch often? Do you think that that will happen today going into this game? I don't, but I certainly would. Yep. Um, but I think when you hire a guy like Dusty, you suggest, you don't tell. I think if you suggest, you know, you might win the battle and lose the war. Um, so I think you suggest and you show them your reasons why, and you have a, you know, you have a good baseball discussion. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm a big believer that the manager itself has to write the lineup card out because if he doesn't, you know, you may win that, but then you're going to lose the clubhouse for your manager, and at the end of the day, you're going to lose, especially if they have any intention of bringing him back. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the year. For me, guys, this is not a second guess for the Astros. If you go on air, you can see I first guessed it. I would have never bought McCullers back to pitch game four in uh, Chicago. I thought the effort level that he um, used to win game one of the series was at a very high. I thought there were a lot of high-stress pitches, and I just think he's a guy that is, could use extra rest when extra rest is warranted and I'm not sure they'd be in this position if they had just really watched for me, um, you know, his recovery. I, I just felt like even he even said that he changed his throwing and lifting routine, thinking he was going to pitch with an extra day's rest, and then they brought him back. I, I just don't think that was a, a very wise decision. I think they would have won anyway. I think they were just a way better team than the White Sox right now. And I just felt like this, their, their whole chances of winning a World Series changed dramatically when they lost him. Daniel Dowd joins us on Blair and Barker. Uh, you raise an interesting point about Lance McCullers. Uh, our friend John Heyman uh, kind of put out a question on, on, on Twitter, and you know, it was something that I think a lot of us were wondering about this year, and I guess maybe we kind of it fell by the wayside because we got so excited with the playoffs and so carried away. But the increase in games from last year's you know 60-game season to – the, the regular baseball season. Have you detected anything in the postseason that suggests to you that uh, guys are wearing down any more than they otherwise might have because of that sudden jump in innings? Well, I think the postseason is about attrition anyway. Uh, I mm -hmm. think guys wear down in postseason. I think that, and Kevin can attest to this, I think the uh, emotional connection in postseason is so real. It's, the, it's really the one time in baseball where every everybody truly cares about something other than themselves. And so there's a great emotional expenditure because you're competing for the guy next to you as much as you're competing to get paid as you might during the season. And so I think there's a real physical wear and tear. And yeah, I, I think there, I think McCullers is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, I think you go through the course of a season and you're certainly focused to compete. Um, and you're certainly trying to win the game for your teammates, but you know, there's a selfish aspect to it too, which is just reality of, life and the game and any industry. Uh, but in postseason, it's altogether different and you are really emotionally connected and committed. And I do think that you have to really be careful. I think Max Scherzer's wearing down. That's why mm -hmm. I, I don't think you could, you can use him. He's 37 to begin with. I know he's a freak, 
but he is 37. And so everything, you know, sometimes everything you draw up that looks really good on paper doesn't actually play out that way in reality of the game itself. Dan, uh, Mark Shapiro did his postseason Zoom availability yesterday, and one of the things he was asked yep. about was the the things facing the Blue Jays. Uh, Robbie Ray, Marcus Semien, they got to make a decision in that. Teoscar Hernandez, do they extend him? They couldn't last off season. Jose Barrios, can you get an extension done there? Trades, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yes, and at some point you may want to talk to Vladdy and Bo about doing something long-term. How hard is that as a general manager when you have the background of CBA negotiations? Do you, do you, I know everybody says, well, we just go ahead and operate as if it's business as usual. Can, can you really do that? Well, I don't, say, I don't see any other choice but to do that, um, Jeff. I, I, I feel like you just take things in sequential order. You know, the first thing to address is your free agents, so that's Simeon and Ray. Um, and uh, uh, Matt's, I believe, is a free agent, too. Correct. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I think you just worked through that process. I think the CBA negotiations, you know, you'll know long before you get too in-depth with that what's going to happen. Um I think you have to make contract offers you feel are going to be consistent with how far Mark can stretch his payroll. And I do believe the Blue Jays are a large market team, and I think they're going to act like a large market team. And I think you make offers that are consummate with um, knowing this is what we can afford to do with the assumption. You have to go into it, in my mind, with the assumption the CBA is going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And then if it changes dramatically, more than likely it's not going to change dramatically on the downside. It could only change for the benefit of the player, not for the – for the lessening of anything with a player. Uh, historically, that just hasn't happened. And then you, you know, the, the, you know, then you work through you, all your different plans because you got to build your major league team first. And then sometime after the first of the year, you, I'm sure you'll address Vladdy and Bo um, and see if, and, and Teoscar and see if you can get them signed to a long-term extension. But I don't think you address everything at one time. I think you take it in sequential order and, you know, have one decision may affect another decision. Blue Jays are in great shape. When you build in a great core like that internally, um, you know, there's always different options in your plan than the option that you'd like the best. You can watch Dan O'Dowd across MLB Network's programming, including MLB Tonight, which airs live before and after every postseason game. Dan, appreciate your time. Terrific insight as yeah. always. Thank you for doing this. Great stuff. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me on. You guys are really, really enjoyable to be on. I appreciate your passion for the game of baseball. Thank you, Dan. Take thanks, care. Thanks, Dan. And a doubt of the MLB network. Yeah, when he when he was talking about the being a GM on on a team that that is expected to win, how I wonder how hard that is. Like it's you're expected to not do something that's going to hurt your organization down the road. Like you're expected to bring in. Now you have you know the the, the big pitchers right in front of you. We have our core. Uh, we we have these expectations. The president's came out and said we're going to win 93-94. Oh, no, he did not come out and say well, we're I mean, going it, to. But, but it's expected sort right. of kind of thing that you're winning more games than you, than you won last year, which is somewhere in that ballpark. How, how do you how do you if you're if you're a GM go home and and say, "Okay, I want to do this, but I can't be doing something that's going to, you know, be the downfall of my organization." I don't think that's the easiest thing, right? Couldn't be. Could it? I mean, no, I, I, you made the point. I want to say before that, 
I think it was September when we were just having a general discussion about where the Jays may go and what they might not do. And, and you made a point that's kind of stuck with me. However this offseason develops, whoever comes, whoever goes, whoever's traded, nearly traded, yada, yada, yada. Ross Atkins has to make this team better. And I think what you heard Mark say is when looking at 93, 94 wins, he's essentially saying, whatever, however this happens, whatever gets done, we have to be better next year. We have to win. I want us to win a couple more games next year. Yeah. And that should, that should put us into the postseason. Sure. And, and that's Ross's marching orders. I, I think are very clear. It's, Hey, if, we can't get Semyon done if we can't get Ray done. How? Whatever how do happens, do... you got to make it better. Yeah, well, how do you do that? That that's the thing is that because you you got a second baseman who hit forty big ones. Like it's the, those those don't grow on trees. That's the point is is, is how do you mm. how do you not do something that will hinder your team down the road because he is in his thirties now. That's why I brought the point up. You got a center fielder who's in their 30s who will need to DH. You'll have a second baseman, say you sign Marcus Simeon, who will be in his 30s. Now he's in great shape but, and takes care of his body. But that's the point is how do you Kevin, how I, do you balance the two? I don't think I think what you were looking at, if you were Ross and Mark, is you're not looking at Simeon. You're not looking at Springer. You're looking at Bo. People are gonna get sick of us saying this. You're looking at Vladdy, you're looking at Bo, and you're saying, what can I do to win with these guys now and next year and the year after that? What what can I do that puts these players in position to win right away? Because I know there are people out there, I saw on social media, there are people out there saying, you know, Mark, it's almost as if Mark doesn't realize that he wasted a year of Vladdy and Bo. No, Mark realizes that. The first thing he said, one of the first things he said out of the gate was a bad taste in his mouth this year. And I'm sure that's part of the reason. Look, Mark's been around the game. Mark's dad was an agent. Mark's been around the game forever. Mark realizes mm-hmm. how rare it is, how rare it is to have a, guys like Va- Vladdy and Bo in the same team. He knows that. He he absolutely knows yeah, that. Yeah, but he could, he could also flip it on its end and say, I didn't make the playoffs with Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon on my team either. Yo, what I, what, what he, I am he, saying he is say do not – overlook the fact that it's a it's about Vladdy and it's about Bo and it's about you know what it's about it's about winning as often as you can before they get really expensive and then you have to make some decisions if you're the Blue Jays you should expect to win a World Series in the next two years you should expect to to win it next year I, I this is what I said before I'm not interested in meaningful baseball in September anymore that meaningful baseball is so 2014 I'm interested in meaningful baseball in October. That's all. That's my bottom line. Meaningful baseball in in October. This was the last year that I was interested in meaningful baseball in September because of all the things. A lot of expectations on Ross to go out and, and, and fix the issues that they had last year. And if you don't bring back a Cy Young Award winner and a second baseman who had 40 big ones, makes it that much tougher. Well, I think we saw with Jose Barrios, though, there's a realization on the part of the Jays that we are at the point now where you do dip into the farm system to address Absolutely. pressing issues. There's that, there's no more of this, well, but no. You use your minor leaguers to address issues in the farm well, system. Well, you have some untouchables, and then there's everybody else. I, 
we've talked about this. There's maybe two untouchables. There you For go. me, everybody else is on the table. Absolutely. You can talk to me about anybody. Just don't ask me about Aurelvis Martinez and Gabriel Marino. That's it for us. Five o'clock, first pitch today, Atlanta, LA, eight o'clock, Boston and Houston. You've been listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan.